am thankful for the privilege that he's given us to assemble in this place and to assemble online. You know, too many times we allow the problems and the issues of life to snatch our joy away. We allow relationship issues to affect the veracity of our praise of our God. We allow financial problems to steal our joy. We allow all kinds of things to interrupt the due praise that God surely deserves. And what I want to tell you today is, listen, I don't care where you are in life, I don't care what you're going through, when you start to look up to him and put your focus on him and begin to realize what he's done for you and what he's doing through you, it'll begin to transform the way you think about your present day situation. Are y'all with him today? So I thank God for this privilege. I thank God for the honor to be able to come to share with you on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. Hallelujah. If you got your Bibles, guys, I'm going to ask you to go back with me to the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. We've been picking on this subject here. I need patience. I need patience. I want to share something with you as you're turning there. Uh, Hebrews, the sixth chapter, we'll begin our reading at verse number 12. I need patience. And again, I shared with you some things on last week that I hope will enlighten you a little bit. But the reality is that I understand that the, the church has some challenges in the day and time that we're living in right now. Um, listen to this. I was reading this article about the renewed church and look at what the church could be. It says, no one could have predicted the cataclysmic changes brought on by the events of the past couple of years with, the, with all of the COVID and what have you. As such, it may seem foolish to try to anticipate with too much specificity the future of the church. Yet some things that were clearly revealed over the past 24 months can help us chart a pathway forward. Uh, it says that <clears throat> the last few years sparked by but not limited to the pandemic have peeled back the layers on many aspects of life that previously had rested under a cover of normalcy. See, I'm one who believes that <clears throat> the church even before the pandemic was hurting. The pandemic just exposed or exacerbated or highlighted the fact that the church had some issues that it had not effectively dealt with. We learned a lot uh, as our collective pretenses were stripped away and a new kind of life began. It says, here a few of the lessons we learned and what, we could, and what they can mean for the future. It said, number one, and this is something I've, I've known for a long time. It says, number one, the Christian community has a significant discipleship problem. Y'all all get a Lord a hand of praise on that because that's, that's truth. The Christian community has a significant discipleship problem. What do I mean by that? And what does the article mean by that? There are many people who are part of a church community, but they refuse or they're not passionate enough to, to willing to say, Jesus Christ, I want to be discipled. I want you to change and transform me so that I can be your representative here in earth realm. And that means even coming out of my comfort zone and doing some things you told me to do, even when I'm not comfortable in my flesh doing those things. It says, from the initial dramatic drop in church engagement 
to today's continued lower attendance level, church leaders have realized that many churchgoers just aren't that into them. Barner research shows that the least devoted Christians were the most likely to lapse in their church going over the last two years. And even some of the most ardent Christians saw the pandemic alter their spiritual habits and not always in a good way. He says, but we don't just have an attendance problem. We have a discipleship problem. The gap in disciple making and discipleship are evident throughout the church and have been festering long before the pandemic. A good example of this stubborn problem, only, listen to this, only, only 10% of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up as Christians qualify as resilient disciples. Listen to that again, only 10% of 18 to 29-year-olds. I went back and I started looking at some of the kids that grew up in this church and in the 18, 29-year-old uh, age range, and some of them are missing in action, have not seen them. Uh, and I'm, I'm starting to reach out to those young people to say, hey, listen, we love you, and your, your faith walk should be important to you. Yeah. We can't make you, but the, the seed that was planted in you needs to have the opportunity to grow and develop. So the disciple, number one, he says the Christian community has a significant discipleship problem. The second thing he says is exhausted pastors are facing a crisis of calling. He says, pastors were never meant to do ministry alone in any season, much less during a period of prolonged upheaval. He says, we see in our most recent studies that 42% of pastors have given real serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry. That's up significantly from prior to the pandemic and much higher than one year into the crisis. He says, let's not gloss over the fact that pastors deserve heaps of credit and gratitude. They have been both uh, innovative and courageous these past few years. They have been spiritual frontline workers, shouldering up to the tremendous challenges. But the intensity of the load on pastors is building, not abating. In March 2022, pastors told us that stress, isolation, and political division weigh heavily on their minds. Many of them are simply exhausted and far too many, including pastors under the age of 45, women leaders and leaders of color are considering moving to another line of work. So exhausted pastors are facing a crisis of calling. The third thing he said was people are recalibrating their lives. The pandemic has altered our social, voc vocational, spiritual, and economic circulatory systems, and the toll is going to come due in many forms over the coming years. What could a faithful witness from the Christian community look like in response to these changes? One immediate and obvious example is the great resignation, the widespread trend of changing jobs or regrooving a career. Churches can provide all sorts of assistance in the realm of job training, career, and purpose coaching, all those type of things. But we got to realize, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it, that people are recalibrating how they do life. And then he says, but again, the church going forward, what, 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 what is needed? He said, number one, a, we need a renewed church. A, a, a renewed church. What, what, what does it take to have a renewed church? He says a renewed church demands that we rely more on the Lord's power and presence than on our strategy or our smarts. I got to say that again. A renewed church demands that we rely more on the Lord's power and presence than on our strategy or our smarts. The second thing he says 
Let me, let me, let me say what he, share with you what he kind of elaborated on. He says, I am convinced that more than ever, a revived church is going to require a commitment to making way for people to experience God's power and presence. We cannot convince a skeptical generation simply with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of a real God who actually speaks and acts. We got to depend on the Holy Spirit. We got to let the Holy Spirit have his way in our lives so that, so that he can do his work through us. Second thing he said was a renewed church requires Christian leaders who honestly and objectively evaluate the impact that they are making. Sometimes we keep doing stuff that ain't working and won't be honest about the fact that it's not working. And, 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 and we, we'll, we'll get into this position to where we'll say, okay, that's not where it needs to be, but I don't want to hurt that person's feelings because they've been doing that for 30 years. Maybe we should have changed 20 years ago And that leadership is not anything personal, but it's the fact that that we have to realize that we got to do honest evaluation. Everybody say honest evaluation. Most people won't do it. Many of you won't even honestly evaluate where you are in your your marriage. You pretend like everything is okay. Many of you won't even honestly evaluate where you are in your spiritual walk. You, You think you're okay, but you're not okay. God says, I want to use you to advance kingdom principle, but you're too busy doing you. Hello? A renewed church needs, number three, needs leaders who are in tune with the people they serve and they disciple. Number four, a renewed church requires, here it is, a renewed church requires contributors and participants in gospel mission, not just consumers of gospel content. Not just consumers of gospel content. The consumers of gospel content are saying, well, I don't like this. I don't like this song that you're singing, so I'm, I'm mad and I don't want to come. <clears throat> well, I don't like the way you do this. I don't like the way you do this. I want it this way. I feel more comfortable this way, so I, I'll, I'll just, I'm just going to back out because I don't like what's happening. My question is, is it biblical what's happening? Is it following God's word? So it's not about a consumer mentality in the church. We got to get away from a consumer mentality and have a missional mentality. Are y'all tracking with me today? Everything that happens in the kingdom of God as we follow God ain't going to be to our liking necessarily. How many of y'all God ever told you to do something that you you and your flesh didn't want to do? Has God ever told you to go and, and, and share with somebody or, to, or to, to mend a relationship and you were mad, you really didn't want to do it? Oh, okay, I'm the only one out here, right? <laughs> All right? See, see it's, listen to what he says. A renewed church requires contributors and participants in gospel mission, not just consumers of gospel content. And that's where some people are. They're just consumers. They come to church as a consumer. If, if, if I'm, I'm going to pick a church that got everything I like, and if I don't have what I like, I'm leaving, go and find somebody, someplace else I can go where I, they got everything I like. It's not about what you like. It's about what has God called you to do. Every person that ever steps foot at this altar and say they want to become a part of this church, the first question I ask you is, did the Holy Ghost lead you here? If the Holy Spirit did not lead you here, you don't need to be here. But if he led you here, he, he knew how I preached before. He knew how I preached 55 minutes before he led you here. Are y'all with me? So a renewed church requires contributors and participants in gospel mission, 
not just consumers of gospel content. And lastly, a renewed church needs leaders who are self-aware about the condition of their hearts before the Lord. We got to be focused. And where are we in our walk with the Lord? So God is, God, listen, the church is who God is going to work through. That's the institution Make no mistake about it. The church is the institution that God left in the earth realm to get his kingdom agenda done. The question becomes is, are you willing to be renewed in your mind and become a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem? Everybody say, let's renew our minds. Let's renew our lives. Let's become the church that God desires. Now get to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Verse number 12. Are you there with me? Watch the text. Writer, encouraging, this is coming out of our study, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through what? Faith and patience inherit the promise. Follow them who through what? Faith and patience inherit the promises. Keep reading. It says, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, after he had what? Patiently endured, he did what? He obtained the promise. So again, we, we, see, it, we see it clearly. He says, follow them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And he gives an example of Abraham who after he had patiently endured, he had what? Obtained the promise. Go to Hebrews 10 chapter, verse 35 through 36. Hebrews 10, verse 35 through 36. I need patience. Now listen, it's, it's, it's interesting when you start, I gave you some, some, some things that we got to look at to evaluate to see how, where our patience or endurance meter is. And how many of you know when you preach this stuff and you learn this stuff, you, you're going to be tested on this stuff? How many of y'all were irritated this week about something? Uh-huh. Let me give you all this race. I took my mom for a procedure that she had to do the other, other day. And Katie, you appreciate this. Uh, it's over. I, as a matter of fact, you didn't know I was there, but I heard your voice. I said, that's KD. He was putting somebody to sleep, <laughs> rolling them back. But she had a procedure done, and we had parked. You know, I drive an SUV. We had parked, and that parking lot is real tight. All right, so I parked. I'm getting up close. I'm, got, I'm, I'm parking in the first one. And I roll up in there, and she I parked in there. And then when I came out, the, 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 the road that was behind me is not very deep, and there was a truck there with a long bed on it. And, man, I maneuvered around trying to get out of that spot so I can get back and get mama back home. And it took me about five minutes to get out of there. And I started looking at that truck, and the first thing in my mind was to go inside there and find out who's driving that truck. I'm telling you, Kenny rose up in me. Who, 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 who had the, who, the audacity to park right there? They knew I was right here, and they blocking me in. That's what came to my mind. And you know what the Lord said? Uh-huh, irritations. You just talked about how you handle irritations on Sunday. And what I did was I said, you know what? i tell you what. Instead of going back in there, Kathy, and, and, and ruining my testimony, because I was going to be looking mean when I go in there. You know how we do it. Because that person was just trying to park close, too. It's just happening. The parking lot is real tight. 
So what I did, I said, there's a way out of this thing. So what I did, I, I backed up, Jeff. I, I had to pull up on the curb to get an angle to be able to get out. I couldn't go out the way you normally go. I had to go back around up under the canopy to get out. So I pulled up on the curb and got up on the curb, and then I eased on back and missed that, the, the, the curb pole that was there on, on, the, on the concrete, and I slid on out, and I got on out, and I said, Lord, thank you for helping me to pass this test. Because patience is going to be tested. Are y'all with me today? So it says, now watch what it says. Let's keep moving. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, great repayment of reward. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. For you have need of what? Patience. That before you do the will of God. No, no, no. It says, for you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, after you tithe and gave offerings, you have need of patience to see God break through. After you've forgiven the person, after you've went through the process of healing and restoration, you have need of patience to see the relationship get back to where God wants you to be. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive what? You might receive the promise. Now, now I told you on last week four ways to test your patience. Number one, how do you deal with interruptions? We saw a situation with Martha and our sister, what was our sister's name? Mary. Mary, all right. We talked about inconveniences. How do you deal with inconveniences? We talked, I'm sorry, yeah, inconveniences. We looked at Martha and Mary there. Uh, we talked about irritations. How do you deal with irritation? We saw Moses, he was irritated because the people were complaining about his leadership. And I, said, I shared with you on last week, that 16th chapter of the book of Numbers, how it is that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous thing to come against gets God's appointed leaders. Especially as God's appointed leaders are doing what God told them to do. Do y'all understand that that, that could be a dangerous thing? And we saw that in Numbers, the 16th chapter, where the children of Israel, there were some who, who came up and said, Moses, you ain't the only one God talked to. And we, not, we saw what happened, right? If y'all were here last week, I'm not going to go back to it, but you saw what happened because of their coming against God's appointed leader. Moses was a reluctant leader. He didn't want to do it, but God says, I've chosen you. Now go down there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he went down and went through a whole lot of stuff, but he brought the people out of slavery and they were in the wilderness and he was still leading them on the way to the promised land. But how many of y'all know on your way to your promised land, you got some wilderness experience you got to go through? You can see what God told you. You can see what he promised. But on the way there, don't give up hope. Don't get foolish like they did. And they experienced God's judgment. Those folks who, who were swallowed up by the earth were God's people. But their judge, the judgment of God caused them to, to experience a premature death. Don't ever be in that position where, 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 you, where, where God... God, you, you, you're so cantankerous when it comes to the things of God and to where God had to say, okay, let me, let me just bring you home because you're going to mess a whole lot of folk up. You mind, but I got to bring you home because you're going to mess a whole lot of folk up. And that's what happened. They, 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 they were complaining, come against God's man. The earth opened up, swallowed them up. They gone. All right? Irritation. And, and the last thing we say is inactivity. Now, let's, 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 let's get, jump down to how do, how do we develop patience? What's some, what's some things that we can do to get ourselves in a position where we're walking in patience so we can 
inherit the promises. Number one, let's, let's look at the fact that we have to develop a new perspective. Everybody say a new perspective. Go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to pull on this a little bit. Ephesians chapter number four. And we'll begin our reading at verse number one. Patience begins by changing the way you view something. The way you view things is very important. How many of y'all got a chance to watch, uh, you know, football Saturdays is kind of my my thing to do here lately. And I sat down and I watched LSU in Arkansas. Any y'all watch that game? I know Danny did. Danny, I know you were tuned in. Um, And as I sat there and watched them, now Arkansas is having a mediocre season. All right, and LSU had just beaten Alabama the week before. Now, it's the same players with same skill sets facing a team that's less talented. I mean, they're good, but they, they didn't have the same level of talent, I believe, that LSU had. But LSU looked different against Alabama than they did against Arkansas. And I would submit to you that part of the problem was their perspective about the game change. Brother Kenny Douglas, Brother Gary Johnson, you, you guys will probably remember, we graduated in 81, uh, and we were, uh, we were uh, I think, 9-1 team going to the playoffs, and we were scheduled to play Rayville. But Rayville got on probation, so they sent us Dale High, who was 3-7. and seven. Okay? And we were favored to just blow them out of the waters. But guess what happened? We ended up losing to a 3-7 and seven team because our perspective somehow changed when we weren't playing the top-rated team from that district. And whether we cared to admit it or not, somehow or another, we didn't take them quite as seriously as the team that won the district. After all, they three and seven. They got to be sorry. <laughs> Perspective, when it comes to the athletic field, when it comes to any other area of life, has a lot to do with how you overcome or underachieve. Are y'all listening to me today? And so if we're going to develop patience, one of the ways that we can develop patience is to change our perspective, is to begin to see things differently than maybe what we were brought up seeing. Some of y'all may have kept in a family that, 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 didn't, that maybe just didn't, didn't aspire for very much, that maybe didn't encourage you to go for very much, or maybe even talked about how you couldn't do certain things. Now, I've told y'all before, you talk, you're talking to the wrong fellow when you come and try to tell me what I can't do because of where I'm from or what I look like. You, you, you missed the boat. God got to me before you did. Hello? And so, 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 so don't tell me what, what I can't do if God has ordained for me to do a thing. Well, you know, I, I remember when this happened to me and I have, I don't care. Who, 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 I don't want to hear that. I want to know what God told me. And I want to get the right perspective. I want to change my thinking from the way I used to think to the way God thinks. Let this mind be in you that was also what? In Christ Jesus. If it says I can have the mind of Christ, then that means I can have the mind of Christ. Are y'all still with me today? So, 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 uh, 
Patience begins by changing the way you view something. Let's look at this right quick. Come on, let's watch. This is Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Two and three, let's read. It says what? With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse three, let's read. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let's go to the NLT on that very same passage. One through three from the NLT. Talking about developing a new perspective. See, what I'm, what I'm, as your pastor, what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is, that, is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church that's situated here at EBC in Benton, has to change the way we view life. Has to change the way we do church or way we've done church. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is this. 90% of us in here grew up with the concept of church being Sunday morning centric. In other words, my, my walk with the Lord consists of what I do on Sunday. Do I usher? Do I sing? Uh, do, I, do I work in the parking lot? Do I cook food? Uh, what do I do on Sunday? And I've done my duty. Pastor, don't be asking me to meet with people during the week. Pastor, don't talk to me about what I do on my job. That's, the job is separate from the church. No, it ain't. Everywhere I go, Jesus goes with me. And I'm going to tell you the impact that you're going to have as a kingdom citizen it, it, it can be greatly uh, 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 grown when you understand proper perspective that God wants to use you in every circle of influence that you find yourself operating. Whether it's on your job, in your home, at your school, in the grocery store, at the DMV when you're in that long line waiting. How are you waiting? Patiently or in an irritable, irritable mindset? He says this, watch this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the serving of the Lord, beg you that you lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Verse 2 says, always be humble and gentle. What did it say? Always be what? Humble and gentle. Look at this next part. Always be patient with each other, doing what? Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Hear me carefully. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. What does it mean to make allowance for somebody's faults? In other words, I don't throw you away because you messed up. I don't throw you away because you disappointed me. I don't throw you away because you didn't do it exactly the way I wanted it done. I don't throw you away because you made me mad. <laughs> I know some of y'all want to throw me away as your pastor sometimes because I make you mad because I'm preaching truth, but I'm going to keep preaching truth. And you can stay mad. You can get mad at me as long as you search the scripture and find out what I'm saying is true. And if it's true, you follow it and start doing it. Get mad enough to go do the truth. Getting mad enough to go search the scriptures to see if the things that Daw or Adam Sr. is telling you are actually so. I'm okay with that. I told you I got thick skin. I know some of y'all been talking. That's okay. Just go to the word. 
I don't see some of y'all get so caught up in your emotions and your feelings. You can't even see the word and your perspective is warped because you letting your emotional ram take over rather than being spirit minded. Are y'all still with me? Do y'all still love me? I love y'all. Don't run away from me now, baby. Okay. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Next verse says what? Let's go. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Back up. Make, make every effort, effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with what? Peace. Now, he's talking to the church. At Ephesus, but this, this, this is a, a message for every born-again believer. Remember what he prayed in John, the 17th chapter, the, the scripture that we've been utilizing for our Bridging the Gap Fellowship? He says, he says Father, as, prior to going to the cross of Calvary, prior to his impending death by way of crucifixion, he says, Father, I pray that they experience such perfect unity that the world will Know that you sent me and the world will believe that you love them just as much as you love me. Jesus said the unity of my believers, the unity of my followers, whether they're Jew or Gentile. Now, for years, people have glossed over Jew and Gentile. It's, oh, that's Jew or Gentile. But what is, what, what's he really saying? He says the different ethnic groups coming together in unity, and my followers, as we do that, we show that Jesus is legit and that God loves the world just as much as he loves his son. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Hello? Celebrate your ethnicity, but don't get caught and make, make your ethnicity a God. How many times have I told you all that? Be proud of who you are and where you came from, but don't elevate that above God's mission for your life. Are y'all tracking with me today? Because too many people have failed to pursue God in the area of unity because I don't look like you. Now, either you're going to be biblical or not. You can't follow half of what God says and leave the other half undone. And I've told you before, People will say they believe this until they have to do it. I can say all day long, I got faith in God until I have to, have to use faith. And then I'm going to really see then. I can say all day long that I love everybody until everybody comes into my space. Share this one time before. And I, I, I said, I said uh, in all honesty, because I want, I want to challenge you to look at your own heart because you think you're okay in, in a lot of areas. And I, sometimes I think I'm okay until I'm challenged with what the word of God says. You say, you, 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 you look at everybody the same. You, you love everybody. You don't treat anybody differently until somebody comes in your space that don't look like you. Until your son brings somebody home that don't look like you and says, I'm going to marry her. Ooh. Ooh. Or your daughter brings someone home and says, Here, I love him. He's a Christian. He's saved. God has called him to ministry, and, and we're, we're going to do missions together. Uh-uh, you can't do that. Y'all don't look alike. Now, what's in your heart 
is now coming out. Because you can say it all day long, I treat everybody the same, I love everybody, but then when you are challenged, the word is a mirror to show us ourselves. I didn't get one amen on that. Thank you. See, I'm tired of folks talking stuff. God is tired of us talking this stuff. He wants us to live this stuff. Oh, help me, Jesus. And I don't know about anybody else, but the time that I got left on this earth, I'm going to do what God told me to do. I messed up enough in the past. And I don't know how long I got, but however long it is, I'm going to follow my Lord with all my heart, mind, and soul, and I'm going to be intentional in doing so. So now, if, you don't, if, you, if, you, if you're not going to be intentional, if you're going to get mad, you're going to stay mad for a long time until I die or the Lord takes me away from here because we're going to do what the Word of God says. I would much rather do what the Word of God says with 50 people than have a church full of folks who just come in and ain't doing nothing. Because every time I check in my Bible, but KD, God uses the remnant. It's rare that he uses the crowd because he says he, he does, he choose, chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise so that no flesh can glory in his presence. So we're going to do it God's way. Amen. I said, we're going to do it God's way. And I'm going to show you what the word of God says about it. Keep, keep moving. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with what? Peace. Why is it we all, why, why are we mad? Let me tell you something. And again, we just had the uh, midterm elections. And I don't preach politics, but I preach, I preach kingdom citizenship. Now, I tell you for everybody in here, if you're of age, should go if you are not already registered, go register to vote and vote. I'm not going to come here and tell you who to vote for. That's your conscience. And I'm not going to get mad at, at you if, if you vote for somebody who I didn't vote for. Why, why would I get mad at you because you vote for somebody different? But what I would tell you is this. When you start to trust politics to change society, you misplace your trust. I'm not saying that we should not be civically involved. God knows I'm a, I am sometimes too much. But what I'm telling you is this. My trust ain't in no Democrat. My trust ain't in no Republican. My trust ain't in no Green Party member. I don't care who gets to be president of these United States of America. God's going to take care of Dahl Adams and Marrera and the Keatrice Kirk Adams. He's done it all these 37 years and he ain't going to stop now. I tell you before, if gas goes to $9 a gallon, I'm going to be filling the SUV up at $9 a gallon. I hope it don't go there though, but... But if it does, who, who do you have your trust in? Since when did God stop being in charge? When did he stop being in charge? 
Don't you know that the Bible says those who are in position of authority, God elevate them there? So if God allowed it, why am I fretting and stressing and all worried and all been out of shape and mad at everybody because God allowed something that I didn't like? I'm just going to keep trusting him because he will provide. Can I get five witnesses up here who've seen him provide in your life? I need one person who says he's a way maker. I need somebody who says he's food. On my table, he put clothes on my back. He's been my doctor in a sick room, my lawyer in a courtroom. He's been my everything. He makes a way out of no way, and I'm going to trust him with all my heart, mind, and soul. Stop this foolishness. Oh, hell, my man. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Can somebody turn some air on for me? Thank you. I've been asking for 30 minutes. Y'all just watching me sweat. All right, so, so watch this. Somebody said sweating good. Okay. Now watch this, guys. In, in this book here, can I, can I unpack some things for you right quick? This fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Apostle Paul is the writer. This begins the application part of the book. Y'all have heard me preach this before. Paul's writing, it was customary, especially when he wrote these epistles to the churches. He would start out teaching them what to believe. That's the first part of the book. Because you got to have sound doctrine. Because if you don't have sound doctrine or teaching, somebody come, come along with any and everything and pull you away. All kinds of crazy stuff, all kinds of stuff that sound good, but it's not doctrinally sound. So he teaches them what to believe in the first part of the, the, the book. And now he gets into the last part of the book, chapters here, four through six, where he begins to talk about how to apply what you believe. Are y'all with me? Now, now again, chapters one through three of Ephesians contain what I call positional truth. Everybody say positional truth. In other words, who we are in Christ. And you need to know who you are in Christ. Because when you know who you are in Christ, it don't matter what somebody else says who you are. You know who you are in Christ. You don't get all bit out of shape when somebody else deems you or look at you different because you know who you are in Christ. You're not guessing. You know what the word of God says. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you know that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. You know that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. Are y'all with me today? So, so we, the, the chapter one through three contain what we call positional truth, who we are in Christ. The second half of the book, chapters four through six, contain what we call practical or temporal truth. Everybody say temporal truth. Temporal truth is the application of positional truth. We are seated together uh, in heavenly places in Christ. That's, that's our position. That's where we are. We know that we're, he, he, he has us seated together with him. Now, 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 how do I live that out here on the earth? Right? That's called temporal or practical truth. Amen? Temporal truth Again, lets me know 
uh, temporal truth is the application of positional truth to, to, to our everyday life. Because I'm righteous, now I can live it. Because I am righteous, I can live it. My righteousness is not based on my goodness, but it's based off of the sacrificial death of Jesus out on Calvary's here. I'm righteous not because I'm, I've done everything right. I'm righteous because of what Jesus did. But because I'm righteous, and now I can live it out. Because I'm holy, now I can be holy. Because I'm sanctified, now I can act sanctified. How many of y'all remember in our ignorance, we, we used to think sanctified means that you were charismatic. We, didn't, we even in our ignorance would say, well, they go to the sanctified church. Everybody said that was ignorant. Because if you belong to Jesus, you have been sanctified, set apart for God's use and for God's purpose. But we, we would say it in our ignorance, they go to the sanctified church because they, they, they wear dresses, they beat the tambourine, and they dance. And they speak in tongues. So they sanctified. If you are born again believer, you have been sanctified. Do y'all, are, are y'all understanding me? Now, now, now watch this. Again, we're talking about changing and developing a new perspective. The first three chapters give strength to the inner man. Now the, in, the, in, or the inward man, the inward man is going to be given something on which to use that strength in other words, the inner man needs to, to, to understand that, that, that he, he's been empowered to, to affect the fleshly man or the outward man. Sanctification is the theme of this last part. How do we do this stuff? Now, that's what I've been talking about. How do we as a born-again body of believers put the word into action? Now, look what he says. Go back with me, if you will, to verse 1 of, this very, of chapter 4. Because again, we got to change that perspective. I start off by saying many of us grew up where church was all about what we did on Sunday. And discipleship is about what we do every day. Amen. We come here on Sunday to get exhorted, to be encouraged. But how many of y'all are willing to do something different than what you've always done? How many of you are willing to say, okay, God, if you say change it, I'm going to change it. God, you say do it differently, I'm going to do it differently. I know that some of y'all, some of y'all, and, and, and I love you, God bless you, but some of y'all say, when are we going to do Sunday school the way we've always done it? I like that class on Sunday mornings. Well, so if I tell you we're getting 60% greater participation on Wednesday than we do on Sunday, so are you still want to go back to Sunday morning? Even though we're reaching more people, discipling more people, but because you're accustomed to Sunday morning, you don't feel right about studying on Wednesday. Nothing wrong with liking Sunday morning. I know you like your class. Or if I say we're going to mix the class up. I remember one time we mixed the men and women class together. And boy, that was a, a this was doing Sunday school. Them brothers was in there sweating like bullets, boy. They, 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 were, they were like, Ugh, we ain't talking about our job. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I fondly tease my brethren because I'm trying to challenge my brethren to be spirit-minded in everything that they do. But they didn't, they didn't quite like that. They wanted their class back. All right? And I think some of the women wanted them out of there so they could talk about some of the things that they wouldn't talk about when a man was in there, okay? 
So I understand that, but we got to be strategic in how we do ministry. I want to know if I'm, if I'm getting 60% more people on Wednesday, are you willing to give up Sunday? To be more effective. Now, I like what I like. I want what I want. What does God want? Do you think I just pull it out the air? Or I, I was not thinking about how to be more effective because I want to evaluate. Because the reality is that, that we were not getting enough people engaged in our Sunday morning discipleship. So as, as a pastor, I want to see more engaged. And, and, and next year, we're going we're gonna to do some more drilling down on what it means to be disciple makers and how we can do that and flesh that out in our everyday life. I need some people who, 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 who wouldn't lead. Who wouldn't say, I'm Pastor, I'm I'm moving forward with you. I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines any longer. Can I count on you? Can I count on you? Can I count on you? I'm pointing at you. Can I count on you to engage? Let me go to see. Y'all look, y'all look mad at me over there. Can I count on you? To engage and be willing to be a discipler, to be disciple, to engage in the study together, and not only study, but serving together. Can I count? I know I can. This, uh, look, 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 these two ladies right here, I know I can count on them. Amen. I know that they'll say, that, Sister Henry, you get ready to be 90? You're 89 now. And you, Sister Kirk, you're 91. All right, so they get, we got a 91. I'm, for the sake of, of my example, you, you get ready to be 90, you're 90 now, okay? <laughs> she's 90 and she's 91. Every Wednesday, at 12 o'clock, without failure, they're here studying together the Word of God. Now, how are you going to let a 90 and a 91-year-old outstudy you? I just want to know. 91 and 90, and they're there engaged, wanting to learn more so that they can help advance kingdom agenda. And here you are, 40, 45, got your high praise, six-figure job. God done bless you with this. And you got your house in the suburb, driving your bins, got your SUV. You're looking prosperous and looking like you're doing. And you let a 91 and a 90-year-old connect and engage at a higher level than you. Ain't that a blip? I thank God for them. I thank God for people who, who I know are going to stand tall, even if, if they don't understand how God is moving, they trust that he is moving. And let me tell you all something. Sometimes God ain't going to tell you what he's told his leadership to do because you would mess it up if he told you. You will kick against it because you want what you used to. Let me slide back over here. Because my time is swiftly moving. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. The KDV said that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The word walk indicates that we have moved from positional to temporal truth or to practical truth. See, 
too many, here's what I've observed. And I'm telling you what I've observed as, as your pastor. Too many of y'all, are, 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 some of y'all are eager to learn and, and to study this stuff. But when it comes to putting it into practical action, action you, you, slow, you slow on the draw. You, you're not really gung-ho or anxious about doing this stuff. You want to know it so you can discuss it and it looks smart in the class. But when it comes to doing this stuff, you, can't, you can take it or leave it. James says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I tell you, when I started doing it a long time ago, I stopped wasting time with people who ain't going to do what I advise them to do from the word of God. Because that's wasting my time and yours. If I meet, meet with a married couple, I'm going to say, okay, all right, here's what you got to do. All right. Now, before you come back the next time, here's your assignment. If, if you, if, I don't tell them not to come back, but most of them don't come back because they hadn't done what I asked them to do. And I'm just going down giving them word, giving them practical things to do. But if you ain't going to do the stuff, it's not waste your other time. Come on, just, I'd rather you come and say, Pastor, I'm here because my wife made me come. Pastor, I'm here because my husband made me come. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to act like I'm, I'm, I'm taking in. I'm not, but I ain't going to do none of that. I could appreciate you for saying that. I mean, I, I mean, literally, rather somebody coming there and, and, and then and I ask you, what did you do? Well, I, I didn't do that because he did or because she. This was never. God don't tell you do this if conscience act right, Danny. He tells you to love her like Christ for the church. He tells you to reverence him and submit to him like you would to Christ. It, it doesn't matter what he's doing. Or what she's doing, be obedient to your part. I can't change Moraria and the teachers, Adam, but God can. And when it comes to the things of God, ministry, I don't beg people to do stuff. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you in a nice way, but, but again, I, time is too short for us to be jawjacking around. Y'all know what jawjacking is? Talking loud, ain't doing nothing. It's time for us to be obedient. I don't know where that came from, but you know. So positionally, we're, we're, we're in Christ Jesus. So, so our perspective, our viewpoints, y'all, have y'all ever saw those, some of those pictures where they have, it's, it's sort of a three, I say three-dimensional, where you can look at it one way and you can see one figure, and you look at another way and see something different. I think I showed y'all one, and I, I don't have it with me now, but I, I showed y'all one time a picture of a, it was a it was, one way you look like an old lady, it looks like an old lady. Another one looks like a, a, a lady with a, with, a, with a hat, feather hat. Anyhow, you can look at it one way and see one thing and look at another way and see something different. How many of y'all know that God is wanting to change the way we think and the way we view life to see it from his perspective? Go with me to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Come on. Lord Jesus. Developing a new perspective. I start out with, with, with the, I love to use athletics because it, it resonates with a lot of people. It was obvious to me that LSU perspective and their mindset was different when they played Arkansas. But that's one dude. That Perkins kid, number 40, he was dialed in. He was dialed in, I mean, to the nth degree. 
But it was clear, it was clear to me that, that, that the, the, the same level of, of, of viewpoint, just like we did when we lost to Dale House 3 and 17, our viewpoint was different. Our mindset was different. And when it comes to athletic, it's more than just about having talent. You got to work, deal with the mental part, how we view things. Go, go, go to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, I believe. Okay? All scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true. And I love this passage here. It says, and to make us realize what is wrong in the life. Notice what it says. The word of God makes us realize. Because we don't, in our natural bent, in our natural fleshly way of looking at things, we don't always realize what's wrong in our lives. Some of you ladies in your life, you may think it's okay to have a sugar daddy. Do y'all know what a sugar daddy is? Don't need to educate you on what a sugar daddy is. A sugar daddy is a man that you got in your life. You ain't married to him. And y'all just kind of kick it. Do I need to explain what kicking it is? You kind of get together when you get together. And there's no obligation. There's no, there's no covenant agreement. But y'all get together and y'all, y'all do y'all thing together. Y'all have sex together and, and he gives you money. Now, I know you don't like for me to say it that way. And you wouldn't even couch it that way. You just say, we're just friends. But yet, hear me carefully, you, 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 you see it as something different than what it actually is. And what, what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that, 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 that you've got to look at your life differently and begin to see you differently and allow God to, to, to be the, the, the head of your life. Because remember, we, 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 we were in services sometimes when we were up to say something, we said, give it unto God who's the head of my life. Is, is he really the head of your life? Because if he's the head of your life, that means that everything that you do, you run it by him. This says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, so my question becomes, if you don't spend any time in the scripture, are you going to realize what's wrong in your life a lot of times? You're not. There are going to be some things that you, you're going to think you're right on, but you're not because you didn't take time to be disciple. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Go to Romans 12, chapter from the NLV, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right quick. So, <laughs> number one, and I'm finished. I'll pick up on two, three, and four next week. Is that right? All right. Romans 12, 1 and 2 from the NLT. Watch this. So we've got to develop a new perspective. A new perspective in how we approach life. Again, if God says you're more than conqueror, if God says he's given you the ability to, 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 to overcome, why are you saying you can't? It's because your perspective has to change. It's not because you don't have enough money. How many of you know God, God has the cattle on a thousand hills? The silver and gold belongs to him. 
And if he ordains for you to do a thing, he'll supply and resource the thing that he ordained for you to do. He's just looking for somebody who, who's willing to step out in faith and trust him. Because everything that God has told me to do, I hadn't always seen how it's, how it's going to work out or, or where the resources were going to come from. All I know is I, he just told me to move, and I, I've learned how to move. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. All right? Verse number two, watch this. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world. Quit doing stuff because everybody else is doing stuff, because your sorority is doing this, your fraternity is doing this, or your family is doing this. If they're doing something that's not in line with God's word, you, you back, I say, I, I'm, I'm out. I love y'all, but I can't go with you on this one. I ain't throwing you away, but I can't do this because this goes against what God's word teaches me. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. And that's what God is trying to do. You got to get a new perspective. You got to let God change the way you think. Because many of us have allowed our, our life, our upbringing, our situation to twist the way we think about life. And God says, I need you to start thinking like me. Otherwise, why would he say in Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind being you, that's also in Christ Jesus, if you didn't have the capacity to do so. So we can think differently. I want us to think differently. I don't want us to think in a negative vein about what we can't do. When God says we can do it. You as an individual and we as a church body, when God sets our hand to do a thing, I'm going to trust him to bring the resources, the people, into play to get it done. He's just looking for somebody to be obedient. So if we're going to learn how to be patient, the first thing we got to do is do what? It's on your notes. The first thing we got to do is what? Develop a new perspective. We got to start thinking differently than the way we've always thought. And watch God do supernatural things in and through you. Yes, you. I don't care what your family has told you. I don't care what your ex-husband has told you or your ex-wife has told you. That doesn't define you. Be defined by who you are in Christ. I don't care what the people up the hill told you or the people across the track told you. You go with what God says about you. Change your perspective and let God do what only God can do. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Father, we thank you.